I think the uh, the main thing is to try and try and remember is um, this is a pitch. You're selling yourself. I, I, I've I've probably got a seventy five percent success rate on interviews to getting the job. It's something I've learned more later on in life is it's it's a marketing thing. The resume that I put out wasn't traditional. It wasn't your one pager. It wasn't a two pager. It was my my last one was fifteen pages, but it was bold. It was very centered on what was the information needed on that page. It wasn't cluttered. It was very it was very focused. So it's it's how how do you create that pitch that is different from everybody else's without being too crazy and wacky. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX career podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Today I'm talking to Mark Wilson. Mark is a UX practitioner with over 10 years of experience and who is currently working as a UX director at a digital innovation studio. This is an episode from the Q&A with Design Manager series. Mark shared his story, his thoughts on how to stand out from others, and his 15-page resume. What makes a good portfolio and resume, the future of the UX design job, switching careers, and a lot more. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, hey, Mark. Thanks for coming, and thanks for being willing to share your wisdom and your takeaways uh, with our audience. Uh, I really appreciate the time. And uh, let's start with your current role as a kind of as a starting point of the conversation and uh, where you work today and what's your scope of ownership like of your current role? Yep. So I am the UX director here at TTT Studios. Uh, we're a Vancouver-based um, software company. We call ourselves a digital studio because we deal with um, designing the software as well as building it. Um, Within TTT, um, I am one of the joint um, heads of the design team. There's the VP of design who um, who has more of a full-on management view of the team, um, but she's she has more of a, uh, a more of a UI focus as well. Whereas I'm more of the the UX um, specialist and the go-to for that. Um, we both manage um, resources within the team. So, so that is uh, so. So, we're, but we're both responsible for for growing the team and moving our processes towards. Mm-hmm. How big is your team right now? At the moment, we are four. Hang on a minute. Let me question. Let me uh, think about that one again. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, at the moment, we are four designers, including that we've got a co-op in there that's included, and then we've also got myself and the VP of design. Nice. So we have uh, four on the production side, and a contractor that we use regularly, who is an ex-employee, 
Nice. Um, I'm really glad to hear that you have a co-op. Very few mm. companies, uh, sadly, um, support co-ops and um, kind of helping people grow from the inside. So that's yep. that's super good. So we'll touch a bit more on the on the kind of the team structure and the process and the interview process um, a bit later. So let's let's start mm. with your story. Why did you decide to join the industry, and how did it happen? You could probably say it all started back when I was. Uh... In primary school, um, trying to be elementary over here, um, and I was just doodling cartoons and drawing, like in my spare time, and realized that that was something that I really enjoyed. I was I definitely grew up more as an artist than I did do as a designer, hmm. um, but then I also had to think like, how am I going to make money out of drawing pictures? Um, and then that started me down the more visual route. Um, then I just I just followed the educational path in the UK, which was high, high school focused on art and design, hmm. two separate courses. Um, but the, the, the design, when I started getting to the um, A-level side, um, which is between the years of 16 and 18, um, they, they shut down the pure graphic design course and they turned it into um, more of a, a cross between engineering and design. And that kind of got my... My, my my father's an engineer um i've kind of had that upbringing throughout my life um and then it, it kind of a few things just kind of like melded together and it was like ah, I've, I've definitely got more of an analytical engineering brain than i did hmm. have a artistic brain uh, what kind of engineering are you referring to um so my my, my father was more of a mechanical so he okay. did planes hmm. um which also grew went into like the house life of he would be fixing a car here or there. He'd be building stuff within the house. And for me, DIY is easy That's because cool, I've, yeah. I've had that upbringing. Uh, so, but it, it's that that problem of, how, my, I need to solve a problem of building something that's going to support uh, a certain weight. So you need to design that in. And and I, I, I then brought that into kind of more like visual graphic design and then software design further on in my career. But yeah, some some might not say it's a traditional kind of upbringing, but it's uh, it, yeah, it's that's definitely a very, kind of you, you have you had some signals from there early on, like from the school yeah. time, which not every person does. Like I don't think no. I, I had the same thing, so I yeah. wouldn't say like that's a very traditional, but um, I guess a very long lasting path um, that, mm. that you started so early. So uh, thinking through like your career trajectory and like career path, um, what would you say were I guess the main chapters there like what maybe like you changed roles within the whole because design is huge right so yep. can you describe a bit more elaborate a bit more on the different uh, roles that you've taken how did you grow um i'm actually going to say it started off with in between university to, to getting my first design job i actually worked in a pub um and i had a customer service role uh so it I'm, I would I would want to say that working in customer service is probably one of the most important lessons of my life. Um, I agree. Because you 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 know and learn how to talk to people, mm-hmm. and to either be nice or not be nice depending on where you're working. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you work in a, if you work in a pub in the UK, you'll know that they you don't have to be nice all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that customer service role has probably set me up for for life, in in a way. Um, but then after that, my first, it was it was getting my first junior designer role. Uh, I was working within a college within the UK in the in the marketing department, um, mm-hmm. and um, it was a purely graphic design role. I was creating um, flyers, 
prospectuses, um, even little branding exercises within the within the business. Um, and then it started getting into a bit more digital. So we, we needed to redo the website and we needed to we needed to come up with some email marketing campaigns. Um, and that started my touch into the digital aspects of, of where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was there, there was breaking out of that. I probably it was my role before I moved to Canada, which was working at a company called Force Twenty Four, and that was trying to be its own Mailchimp, but designed and and built within the UK. Um, so they were they were an email marketing mm-hmm. platform, but they were also an, a, an agency at the same time. So there was a bit of software design in there, but there was also agency focus. So you, you'd be satisfying the briefs from the clients. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and, and that that was my that was my gateway into UX. I started to in, try and implement a few practices that um, were very alien to the UK at the time. The UK, from a design point of view, was very visual. It was very impactful. Uh, but the 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 thought of asking a user of how they want to use a piece of software was completely alien. It was like for the de- the designer had that the path set out, and that was what was followed when it was built. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like it's it's actually quite. I've heard about this uh, about the European school and like the more, I guess maybe like the background about like the the longer heritage of the graphic and visual and like advertising design uh, that mm. kind of influenced, I guess like the richness of of this design as a craft before we go yeah. into like the user-centered uh, methodologies and all this kind of user mm-hmm. inputs. So that explains yeah. it. Yeah. Um, it will like, and then like, this was like the URL before TTT studios, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I moved to, I moved to Canada just over four years ago. Um, and like four years and one month ago, actually. Um, and yeah. And so, so I, I was still working for the UK company for the first few months, and then and then uh, started at TTT about three and a half years ago. Nice. And looking at that, uh, that you've been there for three years now, about three years. Just uh, just over three years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have a feeling that there is a good match between what you are looking for in a job, in a company, in the team, and mm-hmm. uh, the the role itself as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, um, next question also kind of related to the story and thinking through your previous experiences and the decisions that you've made, um, what you wish you knew when starting your career? Um, I, it's going to go down to technology. I wish that, I wish I knew that technology was going to take the shift that it did. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and how much of a, how much of a driver technology actually is going to, was going to have on, on how people interact and use products. Um, so like for example, I, I remember I think I remember seeing the first iPad and I thought, oh no, print print design's dead. I need to transition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a warning sign, especially I think they, they initially had like newsstand app with like that was supposed to replace all the magazines which were like super kind of design heavy, like from the yep. just the, the the richness of the experience there. Yeah, that was an interesting, interesting time. Mm. Uh, do you feel that uh, these, um, I guess, this trend really killed the uh, the traditional media, like the print? Um, as mu- I think as, it actually as made mu- it as much, boutique. Yeah, as much as it kind of uh, everybody was 
suspecting that it would happen at the time? Um, yeah, I'm going to say yes and no. Um, I think like the the direct marketing, the the brochures and stuff like that, that's still getting churned out as it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it because I think the the need for more high end print became more apparent, and you you we definitely saw in the UK like there was some more boutique printers coming out so it was mm. it was more of a focus on on high-end printing methods like foil blocking and and more spot uv and it, it was how how yeah. can this piece of paper stand out from the rest or how can it have an inter- interesting feel and it be be tactile mm-hmm. yeah 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 i noticed that as well like with our local vancouver based uh, print shops i use their actually uh, like uv uv uh, spots and uh like embossing like all this kind of really tactical feel that um mm uh that's kind of i think that like for me i'm i'm more like a, a paper person so i really appreciate those uh nice gestures and uh details so that's that's understandable yeah. in the future though i'm i'm not sure how because this is i think this is still sp- not speculating but um is building on top of the uh the nostalgia and like the more traditional i guess like pre-digital uh, upbringings so i'm kind of from that generation i wonder mm. if if this will be maintained uh, when uh, we go away and like and retire and like more younger generations who started with iPads uh, would really have no clue how to operate with, with paper and print and would not have like the same yeah. nostalgic feeling about this so i think it's still coming like this kind of the the yeah the, the danger of this technology and the threat to the digital i mean to the non digital media yeah yeah i i agree um it's like we were actually talking in the office with with us being remote at the moment. It's like we usually have everyone usually has a business cards because we have we have events that we would go through and stuff like that. We're now like, do we actually need to give people business cards anymore? And mm. and that's then that that that'll be become that that'll touch on what you've just mentioned. It's like it's like well, like they'll just connect through LinkedIn or or whatever the alternative will be in the future. It, yeah, it'll be true. it'll be a purely a digital interaction. Yeah, just like thoughts through the new link that uh, yeah. Musk is building. <laughs> yeah, you already Completely. have all, the, all those all this data available. You don't even need to exchange anything. You just like yeah, yeah, L- look up by name or uh, an event. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, we'll see how it goes, especially with all this new uh, crypto um, trends and uh, changes. That yeah, all this blockchain that's definitely changing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's switch track to uh, focus on. I guess the lens uh, from the entry level designers who are trying to find their first job. Yeah. Uh, and you've had so many different experiences. You went through probably like dozens or hundreds of different interviews in different companies in different contexts. So I wonder if, like, knowing today, especially from the interviewing side, right? So you're as a hiring manager mm-hmm. here. Um, if you were to start today, how would you approach this, especially with all the competition? How would you really stand out from from everybody else? Yeah, I think the uh, the main thing is to try try and remember is um, this is a pitch. You're selling yourself. I, I I've I've probably got a seventy five percent success rate on interviews to getting the job. It's something I've learned more later on in life. Is it's it's a marketing thing. The resume that I put out wasn't traditional. It wasn't your one pager. It wasn't a two pager. It was my my last one was fifteen pages, but it was bold. It was very centered on. What was the information needed on that page? It wasn't cluttered. It was very, it was very focused. Uh, my partner actually used the same template and, and 
got a job at Clio with it. Um, so I'd like to say it's not just a, a one and done kind of style, but it's also, I think, I think because everyone focuses on the, the one or two pages, when you've got something different, and as long as it's not cluttered or, or difficult to read, it, it's, it can be re refreshing. So it's, it's how, how do you create that pitch that is different from everybody else's without being too crazy and wacky? <laughs> There's a really hard balance you have to yeah. strike here. <laughs> because also like the crazy and wacky is a subjective uh, term, right? So like completely different, yeah, receiving side will have different um, expectations. Yeah. How would you really, like, have you seen any, any challenges with the creative style, like the, the style of the resume that stands out with how applicant tracking systems and like automated filtering really can decode the information there. Because I've heard there is a there are big bigger companies and actually more and more companies are switching to more automated ways to screen candidates. Especially in yeah. this segment when there's like just too many applications and you don't have the manpower to just manually go through each. Uh, how would you really yeah, well, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I can yeah I can see that challenge actually. Um it, it also it I think that goes with the size of your organization. Um, I can imagine with you working at Amazon, you've probably got something that's very automated. It's very, it's probably, it's got a bit of a intelli artificial intelligence in there, I can imagine, but, um, or machine learning. I but, can neither um, confirm nor deny any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we have, we're, I think we're still blessed by the fact that we have a small team. So we have, we're, everything's still very manual. It's time consuming, mm. but it's manual. But yeah, touching on what you've just what you've you've kind of asked, um, I, I do see that as a challenge. I do see it as a as a, as a, a way of making an impact on your resume is going to be difficult. Because um, the first things that I look for are your are your education and your work history. Mm. In my mind, those are the those are the two important things at this point. I I, I don't want to discourage people from writing cover letters, but I don't have time to read them when I've got 100 applicants. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, which and sounds harsh, and I know people spend a lot of time crafting them. So, and you also mentioned when you look at the resume, um, you first you look at the work experience and education, right? So, are you looking like for the brands uh, of their previous uh, history or like the responsibilities? What exactly are you looking for? Yeah, um, one, one, I'm looking for their job title. You have no idea how many developers I've had apply for a UX designer role, um, just to get just to try and get a foot in the door of the company. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, one I'm looking at yeah their responsibilities, what what they've done. It also depends on the level they're they're coming in at. If they're if they're a, a, if we're looking for a junior designer, I'd I'd ideally like to see at least one year. Um, uh, it it, it pure, again purely depends on the level. Um, we we do accept people that have just come through education. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have projects that need servicing, so we need to know. We we sometimes have clients that we need to to get someone running straight away. Yeah. Um, so di uh, diverting a little bit, um, uh, but yeah, um, responsibilities. Um, I'll maybe want to see a couple of brief things of what what they actually did on the on the project, but I'd, I'm hoping for that within their portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, and then the education. I'm just I'm just trying to see if there's any any big gaps that haven't been explained. Like if they've if they've mm. been fired or they've um, they, they've they've left university and they've they've gone traveling. That's that's that, I'm 
I'm not worried about that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just seeing if they're actually anything that they're trying to hide from their resume. Hmm. Interesting. So if you see a gap in the like, let's say in the work history, like mm. a few months, let's go actually with a year. So would you immediately um, consider this as a red flag or like a potential red flag, and you kind of deprioritize this application with like the hundred other in the in the queue? Or you would still want to understand the like the the rush, like the reason for that? Yeah, it it yeah, it could depend on how, how if their portfolio is really good, um, then I'd 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 still get them in to have a chat. Um, I wouldn't say it deprioritize, but it's it's um, it's a contributing factor with their portfolio. Like um, if it, say I've got 20, 20 exceptional portfolios and there's fifteen fifteen out of those twenty have a have a a record that is completely spotless, um, and then there's five that that have something that might be a, a slight slight flag. Um, they they might take less priority, but it it would also depend on what's going on with their portfolio. Um, and it's also a case of like we we would have a screening phone call for the for the, that to be discussed within the screening phone call, which wouldn't be handled by myself. It would be handled by a be hand, handled by a recruiter or our recruiting manager. Mm-hmm. That's more yeah. of a screening uh, step. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, speaking of portfolios, uh, what are you looking at? Like, can you define what makes a good portfolio for you? Um, for me, I am looking for at least three or four uh, pieces of work or projects. Um, and, and of those that are actually directed at the role that you're wanting to go into. Uh, if, I, if I'm seeing branding or marketing and it's a it's a product role it's not in my mind it's not relevant um i'm also looking for process i'm looking to see how how you got to the end result i i don't really i don't really see the end result as being overly important apart from them being metrics to go along with how well it's done but the visual aspect of it i'm 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 not really concerned about. I want to. I want to know how what problem you were solving, why you were solving it, um, what what your process to get there was, um, and also like when they're using like research methodology methodologies, just to to know that they know why they're using the methodologies they're using, and if they understand what that methodology is giving to the project, not just doing it for the sake of doing it. If that makes sense, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking for all of those kind of together. Um, obviously, for a for a entry level candidate, um, I'm not expecting them to have have it all dialed, but I'm I'm looking for hints that they are on the right path. They that they that they they are understanding why they're doing what they're doing. Can you maybe recall uh, the last time you you remember that you saw a hint? <laughs> that, that, that they're going the right way. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, so I wasn't actually the the recruiter on this one. It was uh, it was uh, Joe the VP. Um, uh, but it, it's for one of the candidates for one of the candidates that we actually recruited. Um, he he didn't actually have a traditional design background. He he had come through other methods. He had a marketing background. Um, but he was showing that he he's showing his understanding of why he was um, why he was tackling the problem and and what 
what research he was doing and why. Um, and and he he went into the analysis of what that was bringing to the to the table as well. So he had also he he had come through the bootcamp side of it. So there was a, I think there was a bit of a maturity there from the mixture of marketing and the UX bootcamp. But that that for me was enough of a hint to go, yeah, he he he's going to get this. Um, and then in, and then in the interview process, we do we do a whiteboarding um, challenge. There is one question that I want someone to, to ask, and he's the only person that's actually asked it, and that is why. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? That's that's so, a, this would be a good sign for me. <laughs> yeah, and now we have to change the whiteboarding challenge because I've just given it away. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about the future proofing perspective on the on the UX design and like UX. Yeah, UX design as a role in the future mm. within the companies. So there have been many different, actually quite a few disturbing advancements in the AI and machine learning and how some aspects of the UX designer job are being automated or at least are getting more like closer to being automated. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like, especially for, for starters, how they can future-proof and make the right decisions now to maybe go in the direction that has more life, shelf life, so to say. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting one to try and predict. I think automation is something that comes into any industry. Um, and it, and I, I'm not going to say we should be afraid of it, but I think we should try and learn where that automation is coming. It's like if you look at um, typo typographers, like... 15 years ago. I, re I remember having a typography class at university. Um, now, you, now you just open a font, font book or you can, you can just get a font so easily. It's, it, it's that I'm not going to say the industry is dead, but it's, um, it's very niche. It's, but I, I guess the subject matter of that has always been niche. Um, but then move, moving back into to UX, um, I think it's, it, it's trying to be aware of where where things are going, like what what can be automated and what can't be. We've got with the thing is we're we're talking about users and humans, and we have always proven to be unpredictable. Um, it's it's whether the, the uh, artificial intelligence can then start to calculate that. I think the risk-free area is probably going to be the actual ideation, the, the, the actual wireframe and the, the actual production. Hmm. Um, I feel like user testing and user interviews and and, and things where we, you're collecting data can be will be highly automated. Hmm. Um, you could even you, you're even seeing it a bit with um, some softwares, bits like Maze, where it can calculate and it can uh, it can give you your, your report. Mm. straight after testing mm. um so it's it's almost eliminating it's happened, part of the yeah. yeah part of the researcher's role already mm. um but i i guess it, it it's struggling to then interpret why someone's actually done something without because you, you you've got the human brain that can kind of bridge, bridge gaps granted it's not 100 percent scientific but and then that that would then um cause them to ask further questions further down the line Mm -hmm. um, which automation is not there yet, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm going to say it's definitely still the the visual and the and the 
the way, way things didn't work. Hmm. Okay, got it. So there are many people who transition careers, especially that UX design has become quite trendy and it, it's not slowing down. So um, it's understandable to see that there are more and more people trying to transition from more traditional um, industries and, and uh, roles into UX design, which is presented by all those boot camps and other programs as yeah. super easy way to start earning hundreds of thousand dollars uh, two years down the road, which is a different problem. Uh, so thinking from this like the scenario of transitioning career, uh, what advice uh, or tips, maybe just kind of, I know, how would you approach this? So if you were to transition your career today, how would you really uh, increase your chances here? This, I think this boils down to where you're transitioning from. Um, and and it's like the example I gave of transitioning from marketing to UX, I feel it's quite natural because you are because mar- a lot of the methodologies you use in UX started in marketing, True. so it, it's an easier transition. Um, but say you're going from being a bartender to a UX UX practitioner, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm going to say you need a little bit more than a bootcamp. Um, and, and that's going to get down, base, basically get down to the knowledge that you're going to need to, to, to take in. I would actually recommend having more of a full degree or full, mm. full education behind you at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thinking from the point of view, what you mentioned earlier, that if it's marketing, then there is lots of significant overlap between the two industries, right? Which yeah. I completely agree. Uh, so if the person is transitioning from an industry that has an overlap, like could be product management, which is, has a lot of overlap or mm-hmm. marketing or maybe even research, right. Which is also yeah. has kind of like a big part of it. Yeah. Or uh, even a, B- a BA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, and that kind of BA a cluster together with the kind of the, the product management, uh, spectrum mm. of roles so in that case you would say like from your point of view uh having a boot camp uh in ux could suffice yeah mm-hmm. yeah um there may, may need to be some demonstration of that application when you when you you're applying for a job mm-hmm. um ultimately it does come down to your resume and your port in your portfolio um but it, it would also depend on the role you're looking for as well after that Mm-hmm. So what would you do, what would they do if they don't have real projects in the portfolio, especially when they transition career? So after UX bootcamp or, or like similar program, you would have one and a half templatized version of, of a portfolio case yeah. study. So what would your advice be? Like how they can overcome this challenge of not having enough uh, works in the portfolio to showcase that they can do this job? Yeah, um, uh, it's always a tricky one. It's the catch-22 of the design world. It is, it is, yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's how do you get experience, but every job wants experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm going to go back to kind of how I started because I took a bit of a break outside of design between university and actually getting into the industry. And actually, and I was actually a little disillusioned with university afterwards and had, took a three-year break. Um, but then I realized that I went to do, went to uni. I, I got a degree. I should actually do something about it. Um, 
And uh, I started to take on as many little personal projects as I can do that would help bolster my portfolio. Um, granted, this was back in a day where the world wasn't as technically savvy or design savvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, UX wasn't what it is now. Um, but taking that same kind of impetus to, to add to your portfolio, it would be potentially do some work in your, in the spare, in your spare time, either for free or, or uh, maybe not free. I, I hate saying that. Uh, but take, taking things that you know will benefit you, um, but you should, you should be getting a fair wage for it. Um, but it's it's how can you it's how can you balance getting getting the experience and getting getting them getting paid fairly for it, and that is always the biggest challenge. Okay, well, let's switch to the current company, so the TTT Studios, mm-hmm. and um, cons- especially considering that you are hiring right now and um, you obviously have plans to grow uh, team in future. Um, could you share a bit more about the just kind of overall the team structure? How what, what roles do we have? How kind of specialized they are? What's the scope of the role? How does the team work together? Like the design process? Do you have user research practice? Uh, and what exactly do you do to involve like the to get the user input and the maybe the customer input as well? Um, so let's start with this part, like the yeah. team structure and the design process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, the the team structure is um, predominantly we usually go for UX, UI designers as a, as a, a kind of almost like a generalist designer. Um, but we have some that have more of a UI focus and then some that have more of a UX focus, um, which helps us balance the project requirements. We, got, we have some projects that are very complex and we'll, we'll need more of a, a probably more of an analytical mind where we've got some that are probably more visual. Um, so we can, we can, choose and we can pick and choose which design is going to be the strongest within that project mm-hmm. um and yeah and at, the, at the moment we we are we're looking at growing the team so we can um we can actually improve our processes um so we will we've been look we've recently hired two junior designers um with hoping them ho- hoping to build them into the company's process mm-hmm. and we're, we're looking we're actually looking for a um a, Midweight or, or midweight to senior level at the moment, who who is looking to make that transition to a senior level, but they're not quite got there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then when we're going when we're going through to our process, um, we this is something that has been evolving is evolving quite rapidly over the last couple of years, and is is hopefully going to be evolving further. Um, the main thing for that is to get research in there. Is is to get um, get the information we need for our projects early on. Um, when I started, we used to have a discovery, which was an hour sit down with the client, um, and we we were expected to go away and and create an app from that. Not enough information. <laughs> um, so two years ago, I, um, I I started to evolve our discovery process into something that now is. Um, a three to five day process. Um, before COVID, we would get the client in, and mm-hmm. we would have we would have whiteboarding sessions and workshops, um, running through that running through that to to get the information we needed from the client. So we'd be looking at what the product is, um, looking at the the personas of the, who would be using that product. Um, it started off with us using the client as the as the um, base of that. 
information and we're now evolving that to get more user interviews mm -hmm. uh, user surveys so using actual actual user data to inform personas but it's mm -hmm. it it it's an evolutionary process and it's also dependent on what the client's willing to pay for mm -hmm. and that is one of the biggest problems with the agency and in research not every client understands what the research will bring to the project yeah. um, and some yeah. see it, some see it as an expense yeah, I was just going to say that like um, I have experience working in an agency once and I was always curious to kind of like this was an interesting learning for me how hard it was to sell research for for like for projects because usually all those conversations the sales happen before like the design gets involved and like it's already kind of they sell it as a package and like it's already kind of that number of hours of different roles but research is yep. like never included and then it's it's almost impossible to to sneak it in after that so after the deal is signed yep. which is like what was my struggle as well but yeah it sounds sounds very familiar yeah yeah so i'm not going to go into the details of what we're doing but we're mm -hmm. putting processes in place to to improve that so we can actually get the research at the beginning um but again it will be client specific Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, again, personas, then we look through features and gener gener generate those. Um, and then we go through some user journeys to try and figure out if those features actually work mm -hmm. within that. But we try and do that within a, within a short period of time. And then, and then that will give us an idea of the information architecture we need to create. We then go through sketches, wireframes, user testing, the UI, more user testing, um, and depending on the project, we'll either, we'll either, um, we either see it be produced and get, can get some information at the back end of that, or we see it produced, but we, we might not hear from that person again or that client again. The nature of working in an agency. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like working in a product company where you could be constantly iterating. Um, we, we're trying to create the best first version of a product sometimes yeah. that, that they can do that gives, the, gives a client their their gateway into an industry mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense um okay and uh can you tell me more about the steps of the interview process for for this role specifically mm -hmm. yep um so yep starts off with us reviewing portfolio the resumes and then portfolios um if we select somebody to move forward we um we select we will get the um office manager to to call and give a telephone interview um, and if they if they pass that, we do, we would get them in to do a uh, kind of a, a cultural interview. So we, we understand who they are. We'll we'll get them to present a piece of piece in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, and we we also have a few um, design exercises. Um, so we're we're looking at two or three different things. So we're looking at how their, their approach to like detail, have they got an eye for detail, um, their problem solving, um, and critical thinking. Thinking about the whiteboarding design exercises part of the interview process, um, what are your thoughts on this debate uh, in the industry that some people find it unethical, some people, and like there are different versions of this, first of all. So, like, Lots of opinions are related to like the design take home exercises when you when you're given like a day or a few days, and then you're asked to produce like either related work to their product, which is definitely a red flag, 
and usually for free, which is double red flag. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, how do you choose the the I guess the situation, the scenarios for your exercises, and what's the logistics? Is it just like real time? Yeah. So we we'll we'll have a a few print offs that were like well back when it was in the office we had print offs that they're just marking the errors on the screen mm-hmm. uh, it was never related to any active client work it's it's a it's a work it's a kind of a workshop or um a task that we've actually had within ttt for four or five years um and it's stayed the same since so the, some of the screens in there are a little outdated but the principles still apply um but yeah um we we um had we would have them in a room we would dis- we, we and the other recruiter would probably disappear for 45 minutes and a lot and give them time and space to to do the exercise um and then the, the whiteboarding exercise is more like it's more of a design thinking process so we, I, I, it's that's more of a idea of see see how they think like in a session granted there's a lot of pressure and a lot of people kind of panic under pressure um So it, but it, it can, it can see which, which direction people go in and it, in mm-hmm. some instances asking why, which is what, I, what we're after. I want to clarify. So I think maybe, maybe I missed this part. Yeah. Uh, um, so you have two parts of the design. So like one is like design exercise, which is uh, reviewing existing kind of sample screens yeah. and what's expected to kind of to be delivered as, as a result of it. Um, it's, it, it's more of a, um, Point, pointing out the errors and, and suggesting improvements. Okay. okay. Yeah. So without really kind of the business context, uh, so just straight visual yeah. kind of layout and uh, design. Okay. Yeah. And the second, and this is this all happening within the, within the same day. Same day usually, or we if we we think it, there's going to be too much, we'll split it into two. Uh-huh. And both is like about one hour total. Yeah. Uh, the The detail orientated one is usually a 15 minute and then the oh, white okay. the whiteboard is about half an hour. Okay, so total one hour for both parts yep. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um so you already mentioned that you hire and this probably will be the last question. That you already mentioned that you hire um co-op students and uh, entry level designers and junior designers, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Um so thinking from just like the the appetite for the entry level folks um how many do you hire of those of this level like in a year um we generally have like from a co-op point of view we generally have one a year hmm. um it, it 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 all depends on on the um, term length and if they've got any other commitments outside of the outside of that um uh, in in the instance that we've got at the moment we're, we're we've got a co-op for eight months hmm. um Uh, and then for more of a junior, it is purely dependent on the on the on the projects we've got coming in, mm-hmm. and and do we need someone with experience or or can can we uh, hire someone who has very limited experience? Mm-hmm. And uh, junior, you mean like one plus years, right? So it's not like really below one. Yeah, yeah, generally, mm-hmm. yeah. Although the the, the last two um, juniors we've hired had this is their first job. So last question, uh, if somebody wants to learn more about what you do, what the company does, maybe if they have like any questions specifically for you, if they want to clarify something or just get some I don't know, advice or something else, mm-hmm. uh, how they can reach out? Yeah, um, well, if you want to find out more about TTT Studios, go to the website, which is ttt.studio. 
Um, or if you want to reach out and ask me a question, uh, just find me on LinkedIn, uh, Mark Wilson, UX director. Uh, I'll be on there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a custom domain, Mark Wilson. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if you if you if you hook it up with TTT Studios, you should be able to find me. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.